Just because you're out of college doesn't mean you have nothing to contribute. On the contrary, like you were hired to contribute to this team and everything is a team. Demonstrate your ability to get stuff done, you know, to be a problem solver. If you see that there's something that can be better, then come to the table with a solution. Welcome back to Office IQ, where we talk about what it takes to build a successful career. Today, I had the pleasure of talking with Diana Santana, who has the distinct honor of being my cousin-in-law. I've known Diana for 25 years, and what may be shocking for you to hear is that for all that time, she's worked at the same company. Yes, you heard that correctly. Why? How? Well, you'll need to listen to the episode to find out. Diana has worked in several different sales and relationship management roles, and she's been incredibly successful at both. We talk about some of the eye-opening experiences she had early in her career and how she positioned herself to be selected for roles with increasing responsibility and opportunity. Diana also shares the two biggest mistakes she made early in her career. So without further ado, here's Diana Santana. I think you actually have a very interesting story, especially the fact that you've been at the same company for so long is these days is so unique. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it, I, I don't know that you actually like would have expected that, you know, 20 years ago, whatever, 20, like probably not. Um, and even less so these days, somebody just starting out, like, I don't think they expect to work for, you know, one company, or I would say I wouldn't expect them to, to think that they would work for three or four companies, much less one for their entire career. So yeah. I am definitely unique in that way. So you finished yeah. uh, undergrad yeah. and then your first job out of school was with Morningstar. Correct. Yeah. So I finished my undergraduate degree in March of 1994. <laughs> and uh, prior to deciding to join Morningstar, I did have kind of one um, internship in the field, in the finance field, because I, I have a degree in finance at Smith Barney Shearson. <laughs> so like, which is no, no longer. Um, but anyhow, so, so when I was getting my finance degree, I thought for certain that I wanted to be a, a broker, right? That's what they used to call financial advisors back in those days. And so during this in internship became very clear to me that I did not want to do that because it was like a pushy sales job at, in those days, right? So my job at Smith Barney was to pass out like pink sheets, which had like the stock recommendations like for the day. Uh, so that's actually what I did. So it was kind of interesting. Um, and so anyway, so I uh, knew I was, you know, going to be graduating soon. So I started applying for jobs in the financial services field. And I ended up doing maybe like three or four interviews at, you know, three or four companies. And I had two offers. Uh, one was with Morningstar as a data analyst, which was a fancy way of saying data entry person <laughs> in their performance reporting department. And then I had another offer at an asset manager. Um, and the funny thing was the asset manager actually offered me $7,000 more. And I took the lower paying job because of just the culture, like the way I felt like in the building and the fact that I didn't have to get dressed in a suit every day. And in those days, like there were fish tanks in the, you know, um, it was like this very progressive company, like Joe Mansueto had 
kind of, you know, um, put together. Right. So, so it was just all of those things. Like it was the culture that I really fell in love with as well as the mission, right. Which was Mm -hmm. to democratize investing for everyone to make, you know, information accessible to everyone so that people could understand. Which was at that time, totally, I mean, maybe not totally unique, but very unique. Didn't exist. Yeah, it didn't exist, right? So it was like just the, you know, it just resonated with me. And so it was like, I remember distinctly like talking to friends, talking to family about these two offers. And they're like, well, you're crazy. Like, why would you take $24,000 a year, you know, like starting salary in those days, as opposed to $31,000. And I just, those were my reasons, you know. And so, uh, so I started my career there in um, two months later, May 16th was my start date. And I started in the performance reporting department, exactly doing what I said, (laughs) which was, you know, data entry um, for the um, open-end mutual fund database, right? So we were literally taking faxes off of fax machines. I don't even know if your audience will know what those are. You can Google it, (laughs) what a fax machine is. And like literally entering um, daily dividends. It was like part of my job. And then, you know, it just, it evolved from there. Um, I actually became very good friends with a woman, Franny Bestry, who is still at Morningstar. Also, she just celebrated her 30th anniversary. Um, And I mean, it just kind of evolved from there. So I stayed in that department for two years. And then I moved over to, at the time, it was called like major accounts management or something to be an account manager because we were just starting to get ramped up with our what's now kind of our institutional business, which is a huge um, bulk of like where our revenue comes from. So in those days, back then, now we're talking like 1996, we were doing like custom queries, if you will, to support newspapers, magazines, uh, you know, um, publications that wanted to publish information on mutual funds, right? So those big agate tables that were like in the New York Times. Did you seek out that new role or or did it kind of like land on your lap? No. So I knew it was an open position. So it was like, by then we were, you know, I mean, Morningstar was a pretty big company and we had, you know, it was, form the formalities were in place of like open positions and an HR and you know it wasn't like the small organization I mean much much smaller than it is today it was probably about 500 people by back then at this time so you know pretty big enough um so yeah so I applied for the position and and I really never left right like I just kind of grew with how that group evolved and it evolved like immensely like it's completely different now right we have like hundreds and hundreds of sales and relationship management people and in those days like we didn't even have an office outside of the U.S. we were just completely based in the U.S. our first international um, office was in Canada, but even in 1996, we didn't even have that. So it was literally a team of like 10 people and like maybe five programmers, like supporting us to be able to produce those files to send out to like our institutional clients. Um, and, and again, like I said, I just kind of evolved from there. And eventually in 1999, I was moving to Florida where I still live. And I, um, was going to resign. And my manager at the time was like, you can't leave, you know, you're a valued employee. I'll, you know, the company's going to go public. We had, you know, I had, had some stock options. Um, and 
I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And he's like, well, you can be in sales. And I'm like, to sell what? He's And so we were, unbeknownst to me, there was like this secret project going on where we were building out a robo advice, a robo advisor, which um, funny enough, like that's the group I'm back in now, like 20 years later. Um, so that's exactly what happened. He literally said, give me a couple of weeks. Let me figure out if I can get this done for you. And he set me up to be a full-time telecommuter in 1999. And I went and worked for him on this project and helped kind of roll it out to the marketplace. And I didn't know anything about sales. I didn't know anything about the product, but I was willing to give it a shot if he was willing to let me keep my job. Um, and so lucky for me, I was, got exposure to this very seasoned kind of team, right, that he had put together because he liked me and I guess he thought I could do a good job and he saw something in me that I didn't see. And I became like one of the top salespeople like over the next, you know, 15 years or so. Um, and, you know, needless to say, I moved around in terms of like the products that I represented, the accounts that I covered, all of those things, the territories. I mean, there was a, a million changes that happened in those 15 years. But at the end of the day, I was basically, you know, a salesperson um, for Morningstar. You actually gave notice before before leaving to Florida that I mean, mm -hmm. you were resigning. Yes, that's right. I gave a 90 day notice, actually. 90 day notice. OK, which is way more than I think the typical person gives these days. That's right, because I managed Fidelity, which was at the time now our largest client. And it was complicated, right? There was a lot of deliverables. There was a lot of, you know, complexity. I mean, for, for what we were at the time, right? It was one of our, it was the largest, most complex client. And I was the account manager under the salesperson. Because again, in, in, in that at that time, I was not a salesperson. I was the relationship manager. So I just felt like that was the right thing to do, um, you know, because we needed to basically hire and train somebody. And I knew you couldn't do that in two weeks or even a month for that matter. And I really wasn't in any particular hurry. I knew I was leaving. My family was leaving. So I, I had made the decision for sure that I was leaving. Um, and so the initial proposal to me was, well, we'll move you to Boston because at the time, Fidelity, which the bulk of their you know business operations are located in Boston, they wanted the Morningstar person to live in Boston. They wanted you know the person to be close by um, because the, the relationship was so intense at that time. We were doing a lot of projects, um, and I politely said no, thank you. <laughs> I'm definitely yeah. not moving to Boston. I'm going south and. And my manager, again, at the time was like, all right, well, give me a couple of weeks. Let me try and figure this out. But there was no Florida office. No, I was set up to work from home. Um, but then I, he actually did want me to have a place to go. So I actually did have a, an office space for like a year. But then it turned out like it was kind of a waste of money. Like I kind of raised my hand and said, you know, I don't really need this. When was this? How many years had you been working for Morningstar at this point? Five five years. Okay. Why do you think, or why do you know you were allowed? Because it, were there any other remote employees at the time? There were. There were. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, not a ton, but there definitely were. So it wasn't like, I mean, you know, I was one of the few. Um, I mean, I think, you know, they, they valued my contributions. You know, I had been there already for five years. I had, kind of proven myself to be able to be a client facing person, I think had a lot to do with it. You know, that's not 
a skill set that everyone has or wants to have. Um, and so, and yeah, I mean, I think he just wanted me to work for him as a salesperson, you know? So, okay. That, I mean, obviously that says a lot about you, right? That the, the company valued you enough to give you that flexibility, which was maybe not unheard of at the time at the company, but was rare. It was. Uh, but very, yeah. But that also says, I think a lot about your employer, a lot of companies, Certainly back then, but even today with remote work being a lot more popular, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can just move across the country or whatever, maybe in a different time zone or something like that. Um, so I think that does say a lot about Morningstar, about your employer. Yes. They, they were willing to, you know, take not just, I mean, it wasn't really taking a chance on you because you were already like a proven um, employee, dedicated, smart, you know, doing a great job. Um, but I don't know, to some degree that, you know, they, they certainly didn't have to let you do that, right? They, they you gave them 90 days. In theory, they could have found your replacement within 30 days and, and you train them, you train your replacement over the next 60. That was my intention. That's what I thought was going to end up happening, honestly. I never dreamed. When he kind of, you know, said, give me two weeks, I'll never forget. We were sitting out on the patio <laughs> um, and he's like, you, just give me a couple of weeks. I need to think this through. I need to, you know, run it up you know, to whom I don't, I don't even know at that time, like who kind of signed off on it, you know? Um, but he basically said, okay, I got it approved. You're going to work for me directly where you're going to join this team. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take you under my wing with these other couple of people. And we're going to, I'm going to, you're going to learn about the product and you're going to cold call. Like, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess. And it was interesting because at the time we were calling on plan sponsors, right? The, the, the company sponsoring the 401k plan. Cause now again, mm -hmm. we're doing this robo advice in the retirement space. And <laughs> it wasn't easy because in the plan, you know, when you're calling on a plan sponsor, there was no brand recognition, right? Like none, zero, you weren't calling into the financial other financial services. Now you were calling at the, you know, you were calling Kraft, you were calling Heinz, you were calling, you know, huge big plans to try and get them, to get a meeting to hear us out about this new offering. And um, it was very difficult. So it was, it was, a, it was a good experience for me because it just taught me not to be afraid to pick up the phone. Like what's the worst they can do hang up on me? Like, mm -hmm. okay. You know, and I, and I think that helped me later on in my sales career because, you know, for me, everything I did after that was so easy because we were, I was calling into the financial services industry and we had so much brand recognition like i could i always got a meeting i could i mean there was no one ever said no it was like okay maybe not that time but yeah call me back when you're here again and when you're in town again like it was a wonderful place to be from that perspective the brand recognition was just huge all right so so you got um approval to work remotely when it was pretty rare to get that approval and certainly like not just you know more uh generally speaking it was also kind of a rare thing to work remotely um but certainly i would imagine in the financial services space it was even more um uncommon at that time so you're in this new group and you're kind of cutting your teeth on sort of a, a new new product and and so take it from there. Once I understood what we were selling, I was basically tasked with cold calling large companies to try and get 
meetings. We did have a competitor in the space at the time, and that was their model, right? So they were going directly to the plan sponsor. So we kind of mimicked that, right? Like we're a new entrant. There was It was already a known solution. This was just a new solution, right? Uh, a competitor coming coming into the marketplace. Um, and it was tough. Like they, they already had a pretty strong foothold. And at the end of the day, we had to be integrated with the record keeper. So the, the financial institutions that keep the record of the 401k plan, right? So big institutions like a Fidelity is a record keeper in their time and space. T. Rowe Price, they're there's many, many, but those are just some names that you probably know. So I think it was maybe 15, 18 months in, and we pivoted to not the model, the business model changed to actually integrating with the record keepers and selling kind of through them, right? Because they already had the plans on their platform. So, and we had to integrate with them anyway, eventually. So they kind they kind of flipped the model around and said, well, instead of us going to the plan first, we're going to integrate with all these record keepers first. But now we've got to sell the record keeper on doing the work, right? For no money, basically, just a revenue share opportunity. Um, and so then we pivoted and, and, and I kind of changed who I worked with, which in the end, you know, that's exactly how we work today. Um, and it was an easier sell and not an easier sell, but it was easier to get meetings. Cause again, we had the brand recognition. They knew who Morningstar was the mutual fund rating company. And now we were just kind of expanding our, you know, services to include something for the retirement space. And so lo and behold, I end up, I still have to cold call, but again, it's easier to get meetings. And um, there was a company based out of Atlanta and I'm going to forget they're not around anymore, but they were a record keeper in the space. They were a bank, but they had this record keeping system and they had quite a lot of assets like in their, on their system. And I got the meeting. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Once I got the meeting, I was like, nervous as all hell. I was like, oh my God, now what do I do? So my my manager at the time, gentleman by the name of Jim Weirnan, the one that got me to telecommute, and this other woman that he had brought over from some other company that they worked uh, with together, worked work at together. Um, the three of us went and did the meeting. Well, needless to say, I was like... a a listener just like trying to absorb everything. We were in this like walnut, you know, paneled conference room. Cause again, it's like this bank, you know, stodgy bank. And I'll never forget how nervous I was. You know, I was basically tasked with getting the presentations together, getting the agenda together, looking professional, you know, showing up in a suit and they basically ran the meeting, but I had gotten the meeting right for them. So turns out, they signed a, an agreement with us like within three months after that. So it was like a big, you know, deal like Diana got this meet. You know, I didn't win it per se, but I'm the one that like was doing the, the legwork to like to get us in front of the client. So, yeah. So that was like my first uh, big like executive meeting where you're just like, you know, I was scared. <laughs> I was really nervous. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and at this point, you were with the company for how long? Probably like six and a half years, but like I had never done a meeting such as Yeah, that, no. Right? Like I was always at the operations level, right? Like being a relationship manager, just, you know, being providing service, like providing good service, right? And so this was the first time that I witnessed like what it took to 
you know, run a meeting like that, ask open-ended salesy questions, you know, like all of those things, the follow-up, the pre-close questions. I mean, just all of it, the prep, the the yeah. agendas, uh, you know, all of those things. So what, what do you think is the most important learning um, that you got out of that meeting? Or maybe it doesn't have to be one, but like yeah. that clearly, I think anyway, informed subsequent meetings and and the way that you reached out to people, maybe even, you know, terminology, phraseology, whatever it is. You know? Yeah. I would say the one thing that I learned at that meeting, and needless to say, like we debriefed afterwards, right? You learn a lot in the debrief, right? Because you discuss like what went well, what didn't go well. Are, you know, are we in agreement on the follow-up? Even though you, you, so, oh, so let me answer the question. So the one thing that, the one thing that I remember very clearly in that meeting is that at the end of the meeting, the woman, Suzette Deering, I'll never forget, I mean, I'm still kind of in contact with her today. She asked for the business, right? She like, right. She, after we did our presentation, she was very overt in her remarks and said, we would love nothing more than for, for you to choose us as your partner for this business or something, you know, whatever she said, like, I can't mm -hmm. remember exactly. Um, and it struck me, you know what I mean? Like it was a little, I, it's something I had never heard before. Right. Like how would I, you know? Um, so anyway, she asked for, she like, asked for it. Like, please grant us the business, right? She didn't say it that way, but she did ask for the business. And it's not always appropriate, you know, in all sales situations. And I know this is very specific to sales, this conversation, because that's what I've done. But um, but it just struck me the way she did it. Wait, this person was on your team or she? Or, no, no, or she, she was on my team. So again, it was myself, this woman, Suzette, that Jim had brought over as the, as a salesperson also. Okay. So she kind of came in, you know, midway in those 15 months when we were kind of okay. you know, figuring out our overall strategy. So she was not on board at Morningstar when we were calling on plant sponsors. But then okay. when we pivoted, like she was brought on board. So she was like a senior salesperson, if you will. And that struck you how as... Like you were surprised to to hear that. Yeah, I just I don't know. I was just like, wow. Like it just seems so compelling to me, you know, just the way she she politely like asked for it. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. It sounds like just sincere, authentic, and yeah. leaving it up. To yeah. You. Like we commit to doing a good job for you. Like we'll be a good partner. You know, like just I, again, I, I don't remember. It's just a long time ago. <laughs> I don't remember exactly, but that was the gist of it. And so I always, uh, I always remember that. So okay, and I've used and I've done it right many, 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 many times. I've done it. Okay, but yeah, so you picked up something that was um, almost like a tool mm -hmm. uh, for you to use going forward. You picked mm -hmm. it up during that that meeting from somebody that has been there, done that, kind of been in this sure. role that now you're kind of thrust into mm -hmm. as well. So we win that deal. So it's a big deal, which was great. Um, and again, it was a, it was a collaborative effort. Certainly like, you know, I'm the one that got the meeting, but I'm not the one that closed the deal. Right. Like there's no way I would have been able to do that on my own at that stage in my career anyway. Um, so we end up reorging the company completely and there, you know, this, this group that I'm in now is basically part of Morningstar Investment Management because we're a registered investment advisor, right? Because we're managing money on behalf of these participants. And then we have, so that's one um, 
SBUs, small business unit, right? And then we have our data business unit and our software business unit. Like those are your choices because we're reorging and now they want everyone, they're going to rejigger everything. Like all salespeople in relationship management are have to apply for roles within each of these um, SBUs, right? Was this accompanied by a uh, reduction in force as no. well? Mm-mm. Not at no. all. They're just kind of real rejiggering and realigning resources, people resources within. So you had to interview with each of these areas. And so at the end of the day, I interviewed for all three. I wasn't really interested in selling software. And so it was really, I had offers, if you will, from both investment management where I was and data. And I just felt, I think, a little overwhelmed with the whole investment management piece because it just seemed really like new and hard. And I just felt like I had a better opportunity to, to make money <laughs> in the data group, uh, to be honest. And, and, and the woman that was running that group, Liz Kersher, I really admired her, really liked her, really wanted to work with her more. She had been one of the salespeople in that original group that I was in before I moved to Florida. So I had some exposure to her and I just really, I really liked her and admired her and I wanted to work for her. So I ended Mm -hmm. up working for data for the data group. I moved. Um, And then I literally ended up staying there for like 10 years, like, you know, and it just evolved. Like I started out with like a Southeast territory and then I, I was like, you know, the one leading kind of our regional bank efforts. And it just, you know, kind of evolved from there as we evolved as an organization. And then I um, I worked for, uh, you know, again, we, you're talking a 10-year span. So we evolved tremendously, like from a sales perspective. Like now we're getting sales training, right? Like bringing in outside training. It's getting a lot more formal. We're bringing in sales managers that have true sales experience. So it was it was a good time because I learned a lot, right? It was a I learned a tremendous amount of 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 new things as it relates to sales and customer um, service type stuff. So maybe eight years later nine years later, I get a phone call from a pretty senior person within Morningstar. And I mm-hmm. missed the call. And I think to myself, oh my gosh, why is she calling me? I thought something was wrong because we had a we have a mutual friend <laughs> that lives in Baltimore. And I'm like, oh my God, I wonder if something's wrong with so-and-so. And so then I call her back and she and and so basically she was po- trying to poach me mm. from where I was. And so I was relieved. <laughs> and so she wanted me to come over um, and because she sat in our research group, equity research group, actually, but very specifically, because we were licensed by this time. Now we're right. We're licensing everything, really. So we, um, we she wanted me to go and sell equity research into the broker dealer channel. And I was mm-hmm. like, hmm. Because no one was apparently calling on them, you know, to license this information. S&P was kind of our big competitor in the space. So I don't know. It was pretty compelling. Like she'd be, you'd be the only one. You'd have the whole country. Like you'd, you'd partner with um, the folks that were kind of selling the, the software because it would be deployed through the software, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. She sold me on it. <laughs> I guess I was ready for a change. And I took the job and it. I was actually very, very successful. 
I guess what appealed to me was that no one had really done it. So it was kind of like an untapped market, you know, which I was like, oh, how hard can this be? Right. It's just like, again, like making the calls, getting the meetings and pitching it. Yeah. So why do you think she called on you? Why was she trying to pitch you as opposed to, you know, I guess she had heard good things about me. Like I didn't really know her that well. Like she knew, I knew who she was. She knew who I was. I mean, I, you know, it's a really good question. I don't think I ever really asked her. Um, and who knows, maybe like I was the third person on her list for all I know. Like, I don't really know, but you know, she did pick up the phone and call me and it was, it was pretty intimidating, um, in a way too, because, the, the woman that ran, that was her manager, like she was like employee number four or something. This woman, Kathy Udelbu, you know, super smart, like just whatever, had done a ton of stuff at Morningstar. I mean, she retired very, very early because she, you know, cashed out. Um, and so that was kind of intimidating. Like, and I, I remember I didn't have to like interview necessarily with her, but she did want to speak with me because she was super passionate. She was an equity analyst herself. Right. So I was going to be kind of representing like what she basically built, you know? And so, um, that was a very intimidating time, but I got through it, you know, and I did a good job. I mean, we sold, I actually ended up working on a deal with Morgan Stanley that took me five years. The sales cycle was five years. Wow. And, and yeah. And Kathy, like, cause they had S and P and I was trying to displace S and P and I just worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. We got really, really close. And then it got like, it just fell apart. Right. Like most great sales stories. Like it fell apart at the very end and I was just devastated. And I went back at it and Kathy, I remember was like, are you still working on that? I'm like, I'm going to get it. You'll see. I told her. And sure enough, I did. So um, nice. they still have it today. But anyway, so then I did that. And then I went, so, and then I went back to um, more of a, what, what's now called an executive account manager where they were looking for someone to manage like all of Morgan Stanley, not just selling one single product as part of this team as a result of another kind of reorg where we used to have like products sales specialists. So you'd have this like, you know, major account person. And then you had a kind of quarterback, like all these people, you didn't, they didn't report to you, but you had to be very coordinated in your efforts, right? They always wanted one point of contact at these very large organizations because they wanted to know that they were being viewed holistically, like across their whole book of business with us, right? And their spend with us. And a lot of times you're at these large organizations, you're dealing with procurement people, right? So they're just looking at the numbers, you know, you know, but you're also meeting with the business, the heads of business, right? That kind of own those solutions or need to have those solutions. So anyway, so there was a position that had opened up and I was kind of tapped my, on, you know, they tapped me again and said, Hey, you know, we think you'd be really, you know, you know, you know, Morgan Stanley so well, just with your experience with trying to sell this equity research, it's one of the accounts that you would have, it'd be a natural transition. And I was like, okay, you know, so, and, and it was, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, so basically I became this executive account rep and I had four like big accounts that I had to be, I had like full responsibility for at the end of the day. And they did away with most of those sales specialists. So you kind of had to know everything, which <clears throat> I like that too, because again, I was always looking for opportunities to learn something new because I felt like for me, 
it's only going to help me, right? I'm making, I'm learning new products and services. I'm learning a new part of the industry. I'm making new contacts. Like I just felt like it just allowed me to grow, you know, my network allowed me to grow my knowledge base and now allowed me to grow, you know, those, those things. And so. That's interesting. You said like you, you were always looking for, or you are always looking to accumulate new skills, expand your knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right. And I get, and that's, that's critical. I want you to actually elaborate on, on that a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you were being sought after. And, and so what was it or what were the things that kind of made you to be top of mind for these other senior leaders in the organization, right? Like, yeah, I'm sure, I shouldn't, shouldn't say I'm sure, but maybe they knew that, hey, this, you know, Diana is constantly looking to improve herself, you know, and, and um, you know, learn more about the uh, products and services that she didn't like. OK, fine. But that's not that's not why they called on you. Right. right. Well, look, at the end of the day, I was in sales. I put up the numbers. Right. So I, you know, from a purely metrics perspective, like I executed sales. I drove net new revenue to the firm, which is important in a sales role. However, I would say that um, one of the things that I I think I brought to the table was I was always very, I am collaborative. I was always trying to help people be better at their jobs, right? Because there's always a junior person that you're working with, right? I mean, you're you're not all at the same level. Right. I think that People enjoyed working with me because I'm very inclusive. I am very collaborative. I don't think I'm the smartest person in the room ever. (laughs) Uh, Right. It's like so I always took a very team approach with my accounts. Um, And so I think that, you know, Morningstar's culture is very collaborative and entrepreneurial, you know, in that way. Right. Like we're, we're given a fair amount of latitude to get stuff done. Right. And I think that. If that's one thing I would say would set people apart, it's to demonstrate your ability to get stuff done, you know, to be a problem solver, to, you know, no organization is perfect. You you know, you hear people, excuse my French, bitch all the time about this or that or, or whatever. Well, okay, that's fine. But if you see that there's something that can be better, then come to the table with a solution. I think that skill is hugely, you know, recognized and beneficial. Like you've got a, I think, I think I was a problem solver. Like I, yes, I bitched too, you know, or whatever, but I was like, we can do it this way or, you know, let's do it this way. Like I, you know, you can't always go to your manager or your team and be like, just look at this crap. You have to go and say, Okay, this is a problem, and here's one a couple of ideas. But let's talk about this. Like, how are we going to solve it? Like, I I just think that, that that because most jobs are problem. There's an element of problems. Yeah, you know, Were, was that sort of innate to you though, or did the company culture sort of nurture that? I think um, mm, I don't know. That's a good question. Or maybe a little I, bit of both. I would say a little bit of both, you know, again, from the very beginning, Morningstar was a unique place um, for some of the reasons we've already discussed, but we were always encouraged to like, think outside the box. Don't be afraid to speak up. If you see something, say something, you know, like that type of work environment. So I think it was a little bit of both. So. Okay. All right. Got it. What I think is really important is to, to seek out a company like 
what you're describing, like Morningstar. I mean, that it's probably kind of difficult to do um, or, or to kind of, you know, find that right. And there's also a right fit, right? You have to be you have to be a right fit for that company. But yeah, not everyone maybe would thrive in this culture. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't, maybe it's not for everyone, you know, maybe some people fare better with more structure or more, I don't know. I mean, not that we have structure. Yeah, you had, no, definitely had structure. I would almost liken it to my experience with Accenture, right? Obviously very different companies um, in terms of, you know, industry and, and size, certainly. Um, but even though you had a specific job to do, at Accenture, when I was there, and I know this is per pervasive throughout the organization, you were actually encouraged every two or three or four years, like, hey, why don't you step into this other role? Or there are these, you know, openings. And of, of course, if they like you, your the, the opportunities that you'll have are fantastic. So uh, it's a, you want to talk about a structured, a highly structured organization, like that is Accenture uh, globally. But um that that is the kind of company I would encourage, you know, any college grad who's going into, you know, some kind of a profession to seek out employment with. And, it, and that's a different mindset when, you know, oftentimes uh, I, don't, I don't it sounds like you didn't really um, take this approach for the better. But a lot of people, when they graduate from college, they're thinking, hey, I just want to get a good job. I just want to make, you know, as much money as I can. And, yeah, the company, it, it you know, they should be doing well. Um, you know, obviously, you don't want to join a company when it's sort of on a downward sure. trajectory. <laughs> but that I, I think the, the shift in mindset is what is this culture like? How Not just how can I benefit from it, but how can I contribute? Because when you contribute more, then more opportunities come up like they did 100%. for you. Yeah. Well, we're talking about company culture, but assuming you're in, you know, whatever company, if you have an opportunity to take a stretch project, for example. Well, what, what do you mean by that? What's a, a stretch, stretch project? So something outside of your, you know, your um, expertise, your job or, description, or job, whatever. Okay. Right. Yep. Like take it. Right. Again, anytime you have the opportunity to learn something new, like why not? You know, if you, if the company is willing to allow you that, you know, at, at a time, I have to check if Morningstar still does this. At a time, we used to offer internal sabbaticals. So I could leave my role for six weeks and go work in a completely different area of the company for six weeks. And learn. Almost like a conman. Yeah. Yeah. And just shadow or I, you know, I never did it, but, but I know we offered it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and even if it's not formally available, like maybe you can ask about something like that. You know, maybe if there's a part of an organization that seems interesting to you, you know, it's a legitimate question. Like who would ever fault you for that? You know, for one. And, and, and that, that's a, that's a value of the company, right? You mentioned entrepreneurship. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, they were the core values, right? Like Joe had set up these set of core values from, from the time I was there. And that was one right. of them. Entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit was. One. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's completely aligned with that core value, right? Um, so, and I, I will say, like, I really took it to heart 
for me being a telecommuter since 1999, like I always treated it like my own business. You know, I, I was given the opportunity to have all that flexibility. They trusted me. There weren't even Blackberries back then. They couldn't tell if I was working or not working. So I took it very like seriously, like, look, the harder I work, the more money I can make. You know, I just, I treated it. I still today treat it like my own business. Like I work when I'm supposed to be working. Right. And every day I, did you, did you receive stock options when you first started? I did. Okay. How important do you think that is um, from, from the employer side and yeah. from the employee perspective? I, it definitely, I think it drives certain behaviors for sure. You know, I mean, you, if you have an opportunity to benefit from a financially successful company that then can go public, I mean, sure. You know, um, so I don't know that I really understood, you know, I was so young, like I knew what they were, of course, but it's like, who knew, like, where are they going to go public at, at what price, you know, and who knew I was going to stay as long as I did to be completely vested. Like, honestly, like by it, that really wasn't a huge motivating factor for me. It was for my manager who didn't want me to quit in 1999 because he's like, we were supposed to go public, like supposedly like those, those, all those, all that operations that takes that takes place for that to happen was all underway, but it ended, mm. it didn't end, um, end up going public until 2005. So six years later, you know, so it was like, even though it was supposedly imminent, it didn't happen like when they thought it was going to happen or whatever. Got it. Anyway. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what, so uh, I just want to cover a couple more topics. Um, one of them is, you know, you had mentioned that you, were with this um, this group way back when when you switched roles uh, into a sales role essentially, and you you were surrounded by these much more seasoned at that time uh, folks. Were any of them? Would you have considered any of them, or maybe even all of them, a mentor, or you didn't really have that kind of a relationship uh, yeah. with with others? Maybe it's, I'm glad you brought it up because it's one of the things that I wanted to talk about. So one of the things that you asked me about was um, like, what mistakes did, have I made in my career? And there are two. Assuming you've made any. Doc, yeah, I, I know. Yeah. It's, I'm near perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've made two. One is not seeking out a mentor much earlier in my career. I, I wouldn't, I tell, so I am a mentor today within my organization. And I love it. It's just very rewarding. So not seeking, we didn't have a mentorship program at that time. Right. So, but certainly it doesn't have to be formal and it doesn't have to be someone at your organization. It could be your parents' best friend. It could be um, anyone. Um, anyway, that's number one. And number two, not networking more right now. It's easier. Again, no such thing as LinkedIn back then. Right. Um, I, I didn't network enough. I don't believe I didn't, I didn't join like trade organizations. Right. I, I, I didn't do that early on in my career. And I wish I should have, like, would I be in a different place today? Maybe, maybe not, but I, it's just, it's amazing. It's, you know, the old adage, it's like who, you know, it's so true, like in everything. Yeah. And so, you know, with LinkedIn, gosh, it's just amazing. Like I use it all the time now when I need an introduction, right? Like I click on this person, I'm trying to get to this person. And, you know, lo and behold, I have seven people I know that know that person, you know? So, you know, back in the day, you would just do that 
by phone, you know, or by email. Um, you know, I have a stack of business cards like this big. Um, so anyway, so those are the two things. I would definitely seek out a mentor and I would definitely network more. Um, and now today it's so easy. Yeah, no, that's interesting. So I think when a lot of people uh, think of a mentor, they're thinking of their manager, but a lot of times that's not the case. Sometimes it is, and that's great. Like, I always tried to be a mentor to people on my team, but oftentimes it's just it just doesn't work out that way. So yeah. you, it, that struck me when, when you were saying you don't have to necessarily find a mentor that's working within your organization. It could be anybody. Anybody. I mean, and sometimes anyone even, that you think you can learn from, you know, that has experience yeah. like in – you know, depending on like where you are in your career and what you feel like you can use help with, whatever that may be, if it's like you're going to now take on a role where you have to do a lot of public speaking. And if you know, like you're again, your father's best friend is like an, an amazing public speaker. Well, then glom on to him for a couple of months or her for a couple of months. Like, it, you know, just I think people are human and they want to help you. Right. It's like I think it's very flattering when somebody comes to you and says, hey, would you mind mentoring me for a month and help me become whatever proficient yeah. that or the other thing? I think people are always willing to do that or at least yeah. entertain it, you know? So. Right. And so, yeah. And so the, the younger professional should not be scared to ask because, you know, to your point earlier, it, like you were, you were talking about the worst thing that can happen when you try to, you pick up the phone, you call somebody, try to get business is that, they're not interested and they hang up on you basically. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a similar thing. If, if you have to be willing, um, more than willing, you have to be motivated to ask somebody to, to be your mentor. And it doesn't even have to be that formal to be very informal. Right. It could be very um, informal. Yeah. And, and the worst, the, the worst thing that they could say is, Hey, you know, I, I don't have the time right now. Exactly. Yeah. And fine, whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, so. Okay. So what have you observed, uh, particularly with regard to, um, people, much earlier in their career than you are, what kind of traits, you know, characteristics have you observed or even just like situations, circumstances that you've observed where you've had either a good, you know, reaction to it or let's say a more negative one, or maybe even you just kind of like shook your head. Like, I can't believe this person yeah. said that or. Yeah. yeah. I haven't had too much of that. Now, again, keep in mind, like I tend to work a lot by myself. You know what I mean? Like meaning I've been mm. in me, so I'm kind of in my office by myself. So I would say I'd rather focus on more of the positive observations that I've made because um, we do hire a lot of, you know. Young people out of college. Yeah, sure. A lot of college. Um, and what I wish I had more of is like just – confidence and being assertive, you know, right? Like you, you, like there's nothing wrong with it, especially if you do it in a, in, in the right way. I mean, you don't want to come off as boastful and a know-it-all, but by the same right. token, like you're an educated individual, like just because you're out of college doesn't mean you have nothing to contribute on the contrary. Like, especially when it comes to like efficiency and technology today, right? It's like, wow, <laughs> you know, like young people like really know their stuff. Like they, they grew up with technology. So I've even found that in working with, I work with very young colleagues, right? 24, 25 years old. Like I lean on them for that stuff all the time. And I, and I, so I would say like, again, like you should 
be assertive and be confident um, from the from day one, right? Like you were hired to contribute to this team and everything is a team, right? I mean, there there's nothing that isn't a team. I guess I, I'd love to hear somebody give me an example of like a job that doesn't require some sort of collaboration or teamwork because right. in my opinion, everything is a team. And so, um, so yeah, I, I would encourage young professionals to, to, be confident and assertive and ask good questions. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that you should all practice is to be a really good listener. Like be a, practice listening. Most mm-hmm. people are terrible terrible listeners. Like they just are. I mean, including you know myself at times, but because of my what I had to do for, you know, my career, which is sales and problem solving, right? Like trying to figure out where the pain points were, right? So I asked a lot of questions, but everyone should practice listening. Um, just most people are very bad at it. Most people don't even finish listening to the person before they want to like jump and, and give their answer or interject, right? Mm-hmm. So I think um, the art of listening is just like super crucial um, for, for everyone. Yeah, no, that's great. So one last uh, topic. So you mentioned the art of listening, 100% agree, so important. What about the art of navigating politics? Because yeah. I think that's one of the things that that somebody graduating from college or even somebody, you know, maybe in their first year, they don't realize the impact, how important office politics or, or the the role that office politics plays. And I say office politics, not necessarily as like a euphemism. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's really how people interact socially uh, at work. And it's also about creating your brand. It's all, all these things, but how did you clearly you navigated Morningstar's politics successfully How'd you do that? Well, <clears throat> I probably didn't know I was at first, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I guess the first thing that I think somebody should understand is to, un- to understand where the actual power lies, right? Like a title doesn't always mean that's where the power resides. And so, I mean, so maybe you can figure that out on your own. Maybe you can, you know, ask the right questions. So you need to understand, you know, who are the people that you need to be aware of, right, to navigate your career. Um, I mean, as it relates to to me personally, I mean, I, I don't feel like I, I, I kind of knew better, like, I guess, common sense wise, like, not to do anything dumb at social events, you know what I mean? Like, like don't get drunk, number one, right? Like, I mean, clearly you could see who was being groomed for different positions. It's more of like awareness. Yeah, yeah. And, and knowing going into an, really any organization right. that there, every organization has its politics. There are going to be people who are favored more than others. And that's just life. Yeah. That's reality. And you have to, you have to not, really avoid that. It's just something you have to work with. Yes. And I would say like, if you're like a power hungry individual, like if like, you know, that's off putting in a way, right? Like if, you know, like, I think it's almost insulting, like it's happened to me. Okay. Here's a good example. It's happened to me, you know, like where I think people like, no, I've been around, you know, I, I was successful 
am a successful like salesperson, one of the top salespeople, top earners, top producers, whatever. And so it's happened to me a couple of times where I've had like junior people like try and align with me, you know, and like, you know, like suck up to me, I guess. <laughs> and it's okay. Like I get it. Like I don't get offended by it, but it was like manageable, right? It wasn't obnoxious, right? You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, so it's like, I didn't take offense to it. I, I couldn't even tell you the people's names probably. Like it's somewhat flattering, but it's not necessary, you know? Like, I don't know. Like that's like one piece of advice that I would give. Like that's just, and that's how I personally feel about it. Like maybe somebody that you talk with would say, well, no, you absolutely have to like find a way to rub elbows with so-and-so. Well, oh, right. I'm not saying don't find a way to like make a connection, but like, don't make it so obvious, like, you know, that it's offensive or annoying or yeah. obnoxious. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Because I mean, it's that, that, that is off-putting. Yeah, um, it I is. Think, yeah. It can be off-putting. Yeah. I've seen it, like, not with me, but I've seen it done, like, with other right. people. They're like, they see so-and-so come into a room and they, like, beeline for the person, right? Because they just got to get next to them. You know, it's just yeah. like. So, like, the, the advice, would the advice be, be aware, yes. politic, very important. But at the end of the day, there's really not much you can do about it other than you do your work do it well and don't be scared to make connections. In fact, you should be very proactive, make those connections, establish those relationships. And at the end of the day, like, you know, opportunities will be presented to you. And if they're not presented to you, despite that hard work and having good relationships, then maybe that tells more about the company rather than you. A hundred percent. Yes. Agreed. Well, well summarized. Yes. I agree with that a hundred percent. So, yeah, I mean, okay. I'd like to think that, you know, your hard work will pay off. Right. I mean, if you're in the right place, it should be recognized. Right. However, sometimes I will say I've had managers that are just busy, you know, um, again, so you have to advocate for yourself, right? You, mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately, not unfortunately, I mean, you should, and it's on you. I mean, it's your career. You have to, you have to, take charge. You have to keep track. I mean, and again, you might end up at a company where they don't really have a formal review process, right? I mean, you really don't know. And that's where, again, a mentor really could come in and help you like, well, gee, we don't, I haven't had an, uh, a review in 18 months, you could say to your mentor and your mentor could say, well, that's not good. <laughs> like, do you have some stuff documented? Like you have to be able to like advocate for yourself. So you can't be willy nilly, willy nilly either. You have to you know, keep these things in mind. And if they're not happening, well, then you need to raise your hand, right? In the nicest possible way. Yeah, and say, yeah, sure. Yeah. And say, just, I, I want to know how I'm doing, right? Like we, I know you're busy. I know we haven't had a chance. I know we've been through transition, whatever the case may be. But if you don't raise your hand and advocate for yourself, well, then it's kind of shame on you, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's on you to, to make yeah. that happen. So. Totally. I thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Office IQ. If you're looking for ways to accelerate your path to success, you can find more resources like this on our YouTube channel or at officeintelligence.com. 
We offer courses and other content that will literally change the direction of your career for the better. If there are any topics you'd like to hear more about or questions you'd like me to address on future episodes, you can send an email to jeff at officeintelligence.com.